Okay, you can turn that back on. Thanks. We're in Ephesians chapter 4. If you'd turn there, I'd be grateful. Even if you're not one to maybe turn to a passage, I'd like for you to at least turn there. Those Bibles that are in the seat bottoms in front of you are um, there to use. If you don't have one, you're welcome to take that one. And uh, you can make it your own. Ephesians chapter 4. What I ask you to consider as you're turning there, what you would list as your life essentials. I think most of us would list food. I would list food right at the very top. <laughs> Lots of it. Uh, clothing, shelter, are things that we would all consider um, essentials in life. I think those would be in the top three. We would probably consider friends and family right up there at the top of the list or near the top of the list. We need our friends and family. Um, we might consider hobbies. In entertainment, uh, we know that we need to have activities like that, uh, that those uh, help not only just the quality of life, but in some way enhance life itself to where we, we might even count hobbies and entertainment essentials. Some of you are really hardworking and would have work in the list. Most of us, I think, among us um, folks that I know uh, in our body would consider work as part of an essential, to have something to do, to have uh, a task from day to day is something that we, we would likely call an essential. I want to ask you this morning, if you were to make a list of your life essentials, would the preaching and teaching of God's Word be on that list? Big pregnant pause on purpose. Would the preaching and teaching of God's Word be on that list? Would the ministry of the Word, we might call it, be on that list? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13 is where we will focus today. We will bump into verse 14, but briefly. And he gave apostles, or the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ." I want to give you some bearings as we climb into this passage, just a little bit of context. We're still right in the middle at this point of a passage of Scripture on unity. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, beginning in chapter 4, verse 1, through about verse 16, dealing with the topic of unity. And we're right smack dab, kind of in the middle of it. Um, since verse 7, Paul has been developing this idea that gifts are connected to unity. In verse 7, he presents the thought, the realization that God has gifted, Christ specifically, has gifted each of us with gifts. And that walking in that gifting is what he develops, uh, builds unity. He presented the idea that these gifts were hard won. They're the spoils of his victory through the cross. We just a few weeks ago considered how cherished those gifts are in light of that, that they were hard won through the work of the cross. 
So far, he's been talking about gifts that are given to everyone. But here in these verses, he shifts gears from gifts given to everyone to what I'm going to call, hopefully if I'm consistent for the rest of the morning, people gifts given to the church. Okay, he's shifting from the topic in conversation dealing with gifts given to each of us to now people gifts given to the church. So let's unpack this a little bit. Uh, he's moved from gifts given to everyone to people as gifts given to the body. He identifies four of them, possibly five, but I'm going to lean in the direction of four, and that's the way I'm going to develop that. And those four are the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, and the pastor-teacher. Okay, let's look at those individually. First of all, the apostle. This would be those who walked with Christ in the strictest sense, those who witnessed Christ in his work in the strictest sense. There were others who were considered apostles in the early church who had not necessarily been part of the initial 12. Uh, but these guys had the purpose of planting the church where the church wasn't in the Roman Empire. Okay, just a brief summary of what these guys did. They took the church where the church wasn't in the Roman Empire. Now the prophet. Okay, we're speaking of New Testament prophets here. This is listed after apostle, which is a New Testament gift given to the church. We're talking about a New Testament gift given to the church, the gift of the prophet. We're not talking Old Testament prophets here. The New Testament prophet did not necessarily have the role that a lot of our Old Testament prophets had of foretelling. Okay, they weren't predicting some things that were going to happen like a lot of our Old Testament, Old, uh, Old Testament prophets. The New Testament prophet had the responsibility, in large part, of presenting new revelation. Okay, you might understand why that would be important if this thing was not complete in the new church. Say, for example, a church is planted in Corinth, but this whole Bible hasn't been complete. It might be handy to have somebody there that could present some new revelation that will later be recorded in some of these letters written to the churches or whatever. Okay? The prophet served a specific and important role in the early church, providing new revelation to the newly planted churches. Okay. Now, if you want to have some sense of what's going or what has happened to those two people gifts given to the church, the apostle and the prophet, look across the page at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Just for the sake of context, I'll move back a little bit um, into verse 18. For through him we both have access to one, in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. What I'm presenting to you in just very a brief development this morning, you can go back and listen to earlier sermons if you want a longer development, is the apostles and prophets died with the are, uh, were extinct, or they're extinct now. They were part of the early church. They were foundational, as this passage says here in chapter 2, verse 20. They were foundational gifts given to the early church. Now, these next two gifts are current gifts. Let me develop briefly who they are. First of all, the evangelist. The only pictures we have of the evangelist in the Scripture are Philip and Timothy. Here's a brief glimpse into the ministry of a guy named Philip. Acts chapter 8, listen to this passage. Acts chapter 8, verse 
4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Okay, let's watch what happens on the next page. If you didn't turn there, that's okay. You can listen. Um, When they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Okay, Philip is an evangelist. He's identified as as an evangelist, as one of these people gifts given to the church. And when he goes around to various places and he preaches, the church is born. He's not out collecting notches in his gun for how many decisions he can make. He's not out putting distance between the local churches and his work by um, disparaging what they should or shouldn't be doing or what they haven't done. He is out planting the church where the church isn't by conversion, by preaching the gospel. And that's what happens there in Samaria. So we have a current day version of the evangelists. We prayed for them this morning while we had that thing muted, and I won't even mention who they are at this point. But those are a beautiful picture of current day evangelists. Taking the gospel where it isn't with the goal of planting the church where the church isn't. This guy or gal is building the kingdom by building and planting and growing the church. Okay, this last one, the shepherd teacher of the four. I'm going to group those together, but I'll identify them each separately because I think some folks lean more toward the shepherd-like role and some lean more toward the teacher-like role. The shepherd-like role is going to be the person that's really good at guiding people in the faith. And this person may be okay at teaching. They may not necessarily be uh, an amazing orator at teaching and preaching, but they're really good at guiding people into God's Word and through God's Word in their faith journeys. The teacher, on the other hand, if we wanted to look at a very extreme case, is someone who is very gifted at, at exposing God's Word. Now, the shepherds, again, would require some level of expertise in the Word, so they... Um, may or may not be teachers, and teachers may or may not, excuse me, they are going to be teachers to some degree, but teachers may or may not be shepherds. You may have a teacher that's not very good with people, but is really good at exposing and unpacking God's Word. Although I've dealt with these sort of separately, I'm for the remainder of the morning going to consider them together. The shepherd or the pastor and the teacher, I believe, is one people gift in this passage that's given to the church these, I dealt with them separately, but they're thought to be very close neighbors, and they likely often are in the same person or persons in the church. And I'll go ahead and identify for you for here at Crosspoint. I want to be very specific. I'm talking about the people gifts given to the church at Crosspoint in regards to the pastor and teacher. There are at least three of them, me, Brad, and Scott. I want you to have a face with a name this morning or a face with an, a, a topic, okay, me and Brad and Scott. I'm sorry, this is the gift that's given to y'all. You just have to deal with it. You have to reckon with it. We'll go ahead and get that out there. I apologize and shoot the elephant in the room. Um, but those are the gifts that are given to the church, I believe, to Cross Point Fellowship at this point. The couple we prayed for at the beginning of the morning are at least those are our evangelists. And at least the three men, myself and two others that I named just now, are at least those men are shepherds and teachers in this body. Now, these people are the gifts given to the church for a purpose. Okay, this is where we're going to spend the morning, the majority of the morning in verse 12. Given for a purpose. And at this point, I'm only going to say that for the purpose of doing something. 
Okay, these gifts, these people gifts are given to the ch church for the purpose of doing something. And then in verse 13, the goal is that we will maintain or we will attain mature manhood, corporate maturity as a church. We're not just talking about a bunch of individuals maturing in the faith, although that will be part of it. We're talking about the goal here is corporate maturity, that we mature as a church, church family. And he uses some descriptors there in verse 13. Markers of maturity is the unity of the faith. Okay, and that word faith there is an objective genitive. It has to do with content, not uh, a verb. It has to do with the content of the faith. That we will attain unity of the faith. That's a marker of maturity. And secondly, knowledge of the Son of God. That's another marker of maturity. Okay, So these people gifts are given to the local church for that purpose to grow it to maturity, and the markers being unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. So, to make sure that you're tracking so far with just the sweep of this passage, and then we're going to get into the real meat of verse 12. To make sure you're tracking with the flow of this passage, God gave people gifts. Okay, Not gifts to people, but people gifts, actual people that are gifts to the church to do something with the goal of corporate maturity. Okay, now we're going to get into verse 12 and try and make sense of this. Uh, I want you to look very closely at verse 12. I want you to have this in front of you because you're going to need to actually see what I'm talking about here before I climb into it. I want to give you, uh, um, I want to help you out with some punctuation or at least address some punctuation issues. Okay, verse 12, in your Bible, in the Pew Bible, we don't have pews, in the seat Bibles, and most of you carry the English Standard Version. Okay, not all of you. Some of you probably carry the NIV or New American Standard. There might be some other versions out here, Revised Standard or something like that. But most of us, I think, are holding on to the English Standard Version, which places a comma after ministry. Okay, I want you to, I'm going to just point something out to you. There are three prepositional phrases in verse 12. Okay, three prepositional phrases that will make all the difference in the way a church functions. Okay, and will make all the difference in the way a church, I will argue, later on as we go, treats what I'm doing right now. Okay, these three prepositional phrases, they are to equip the saints, this is the first prepositional phrase, for the work of ministry, this is the second prepositional phrase. And the third prepositional phrase is for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, the earliest translations that the church has held on to for years, which would be the King James Version and the Vulgate, Latin Vulgate. Okay, the earliest translations place a comma after each of those prepositional phrases. Okay, so I'm going to read it the way the King James Version. Some of you might have the King James you can stand and sit real tall this morning because I think we're going to appreciate the King James here in the next few minutes. Uh, places a comma after each of those phrases. So I'm going to read it that way as if there's a comma after each, through each of those prepositional phrases. And I'm going to gather up who we're talking about. The people gifts that are given to the church by Christ, this victor, okay, are to equip the saints, comma, for the work of ministry. Those gifts are given for the work of ministry, and third, those gifts, those people gifts, are given for the building up of the body of Christ. 
Okay, that's the oldest version, excuse me, the oldest translations that we have. It's also the earliest teachings of the church held to commas after all three of those phrases. Our reformers held on to commas after three of those phrases. Okay, I want you to appreciate the difference between what I just said and what our versions likely say if you have a newer contemporary version in your lap, say. They take out at least a, a comma. Some versions take out both commas. And the dramatic effect, the dramatic change if you read it that way. Okay, we're talking these three prepositional phrases and whether or not those commas should or shouldn't be there. The real question is, are we talking about three prepositional phrases where the second and third phrases are subordinate to the first one? Are we talking about three prepositional phrases that are parallels speaking back to the apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, and evangelist? Okay, that's the key question of the morning, and it will have a very different impact on the way that I think that you handle what I'm doing right now. Now let me at least address the, the notion that what you have in your lap, you shouldn't go tear that page out of your Bible. You shouldn't go think that you've got some sort of bad translation. There is a great case for removing a comma. Great case for it. And frankly, I'm about to share with you my preference of what I would really like it for it to say. Okay, but let me just read it that way with a comma removed so you can appreciate the difference. That punctuation matters. Okay? The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, teachers are given to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, comma, for the building up of the body of Christ. You see the difference between what I read first and what I read just now? You see the difference one comma makes? With the comma there, who's doing the work of ministry? I am. With the comma removed, who's doing the work of ministry? You are. Okay, big difference. Big difference. I hope you appreciate the importance of a comma. And I hope you appreciate that how we spend these next few minutes is pretty important because it's going to put the onus on somebody in here for the work of ministry. Okay, and also, some people, as I said, remove that, that second comma so that the pastor teacher and the evangelist is also doing the work of building up, building up the body. Pretty profound and important conversation we've got going here. I know some of y'all are like, man, I have no clue what this is about and this punctuation stuff. My head's spinning and what in the world are we doing? You hang in there because I'm telling you, this is an important message. It may be, um, I mean, I always feel like the most important message that I've ever preached is the one that I'm sitting in right in the moment. But I think this is a very important message. Now, let me deal with the something. I told you that I left out the something here because we're going to come back to it. I wanted to point out those three prepositional phrases that are going to give us some insight into what this pastor, teacher, and this evangelist are up to. I told you they're doing something with the goal of the maturing of the body. Okay, They're up to something. So what is that something? And where those commas are placed, or if those commas are placed at all, answer the question of what that something is. Okay, let me just share with you, first of all, what I want this to be is I want this to be a no-comma verse. In fact, the title of this message was a no-comma church. What I want this to be is that my job as a gift to this body is to equip the saints so that you can go do the work of service and the work of ministry, and so that you, as you're doing the work of ministry, will build up the body. 
I love that. In fact, all week I was so excited about it. I had so many great illustrations planned. I mean, I had such a great sermon planned that just, that, that, that just it was an amazing sermon. Probably would have been one of the best you ever heard. <laughs> but I, 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 I can't preach a sermon just because I want it to be the thing that it's saying. Just because I want it to be what's said. I like the thought of a working church that's not expecting a one-man band of their pastor. Frankly, I like that thought. So that's why I'd like to have all the commas removed. I like the thought of a true symphony of movement where everyone in the body is playing their part. Man, I think there's a great case to be made for that all over our New Testaments. But I don't think that's what's going on here. I think there's a great case for that to be made all over our New Testaments. But I don't think that's what's going on here. Now, let's dive into what I believe is going on here. What I think this passage is actually saying. What I want to deal with is a passage that doesn't carry my bias and my preference into it, but is just exposing it for what it's saying, not pushing into it what I want it to say. It seems to be that these three prepositional phrases are parallels, meaning that they should have commas after each of them as they point back and speak to the work of those gifts that are given to the church, the evangelist and the pastor-teacher. Okay, let me make my case for that. I think it's important for you just to not take my word for that. I hope at this point, you're curious at least, you've probably heard if you've been here for some period of time, that man, it rolls off the tongue. I told Scott this morning, I said it rolls off the tongue that what we're doing is we're equipping the saints for the work of service. If you've been around here any period of time, you've heard it roll off my tongue. So I think it's important that you understand the case that I'm making this morning because it's a course correction, I think. So let's address it first. First, I want to deal with the word equip in the first prepositional phrase. Secondly, I want to deal with the phrase, the work of ministry or the work of service, depending on which version you have. And third, I want to deal, up, deal, deal with what is the building up of the body of Christ. What is it exactly? Okay, so let's first deal with this word equip. Equipping the saints is how it reads in our version here, beginning of verse 12. The apostle, the prophets, remember we're saying that they're extinct, at least for the morning. We're saying they're extinct. The shepherds and teachers and the evangelists, these have been given to the local church to equip the saints. There's no argument about that. What I think is worth considering, though, is the word equip. The word equip sort of paints the picture of what a coach does. I like coaching. I, I grew up under football. Uh, I played football as I was growing up, and I really enjoyed our coaches. They all seemed to have a really good sense of humor. They had great tans, like really high tans, too, because they wore those really high-cut champion <laughs> shorts, you know, that looked so comfortable because they had the elastic waistband, you know. I was like, man, that'd be cool to be a coach someday. I like the thought of coaching, and I like the thought even of being a coach and having, you know, showing off your quads. That's kind of cool, you know, in your champion shorts. And equip sort of points to that sort of vision, that imagery of sort of a life coach almost, equipping the saints to then go do what you do, okay? That word equip isn't a bad word, and that word there, the Greek word there, uh, is translated equip here in this passage. 
In other passages, the translation uses the word restore. The word can mean to repair or to mend. Speaking of like fishing nets, for example. It can also mean, I think how Paul uses it most frequently, is a word that means to make complete. Which is a little bit more than equipping, wouldn't you say? I, I mean, coaches equipped me for the game, but I don't know that they made me complete. It'd be a strong statement to make a coach to, to suggest that a coach somehow made me complete. And what uh, another word that may be the best word of the morning for that uh, translation for that uh, specific Greek word would be the word to make perfect or to perfect. Okay, those all are words that are synonymous with this Greek word here that is translated equip. I want to share a passage with you, and you don't need to turn there because I, I will have you turn to a few certain places, but I'd like for you just to listen to this passage from 2 Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 13. Paul is finishing out his second letter to the church at Corinth, and he uses this word, the same word, a couple of times in two different passages. The first one is chapter 13, verse 9. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. It's the same word. To kind of help you appreciate how this is a more potent handling of it, stick a quip in there. Your equipping is what we pray for. Okay, it's not as strong as your restoration. Okay, look a couple of verses, listen a couple of verses later. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Brothers, rejoice and aim for restoration. Okay, he's praying for something that sounds more potent and more important than just equipping, than just what coaches do. It sounds like he's praying for and pursuing something that is more important, that sounds, leans more in the direction of making whole or complete, restore. You can understand how that might lean in that direction of making whole and making complete and even leaning in the direction of the word to make perfect. In this passage in 2 Corinthians, it seems that the language here is of a body that needs to be unified and growing to perfection and put in order, not just equipped, but to made whole and to made perfect, i.e. To, to be made mature, leaning back in the direction of Ephesians chapter 4 where he said, remember the goal is maturity, that you grow up into maturity. Equipping is a light word for that profound work of growing up into the stature that is like Christ. And he's doing this, this equipping, if you want to use that light word. I want to use to make complete and perfecting instead. He's doing this, this perfecting and this being made complete by means of the gifts given to the church. These people gifts of the evangelist. And the pastor, teacher. That alone right there, I just want to tell you right now, that alone is enough for me to swallow hard. That alone, considering just that passage that is not to be disputed by anybody that might stand on different places in verse 12, is enough for me to swallow hard. If I have that responsibility as a gift that's given to this church to make you complete somehow, to perfect you somehow, that's going to put a sobriety in what I'm doing right now. 
That's going to put a sobriety on Ben McGraw as I'm preparing to preach and do what I'm doing right now. Man, that's an important word. And equip seems kind of light. Make perfect. The New American Standard says make perfect. Leans a little more in the direction of, I think, what's going on there. There To be made complete and to be made perfect. Now, I told you the second thing we were going to do this morning was deal with the second prepositional phrase, the work of ministry. Okay, whether or not you put a, a, a comma after equip the saints or not, let's deal with just this phrase, the work of ministry. The only other place that these two words are used even near one another by Paul, okay, listen to this, this is important, work and ministry, okay, is in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. As for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. That's the closest Paul does anywhere, goes anywhere in the New Testament to dealing with those two words near one another. Is where he's talking to Timothy saying, do your work, son. Preach the word. Do the work of an evangelist. He's leaning in a very important direction here of maybe giving the hint that this work of service is more than just the saints doing a bunch of ministry stuff. That's a great idea and a great notion. Remember I told you that's my preference. I love that. I love a no-comma church. But he seems to be hinting at something more important when he's speaking to Timothy and says, do the work of ministry. Do the work of an evangelist. Preach the word. Let me just share this with you. There's really no strong development, not even a light development, of open-ended service. Okay, the work of service is the phrase there. There's not really a development in our New Testaments of open-ended service. There's the notion that we are to be servants. But usually when there's some word that has to do with service, there's some sort of service that's being done. Let me just give you a couple of examples just so you can consider this for a moment. Let me find my notes here. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Just listen to this. Listen to the service that's going on and consider that there's a kind of service that's actually taking place. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed, her, welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has let me serve alone? Tell her then to help me. You know the story. You're familiar with it. She's distracted with much serving. That might sound kind of open-ended, but it's not open-ended service, for you know where they are. They're in her home. She's doing some serving in her home. She, the, the, the type of serving she's doing is home service, like tending the table, like tending to their guests. Here's another example, Acts chapter 20, verse 24. This is Paul speaking. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord. Hear it, the ministry, the serving thing that I received from the Lord, Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. There's not a real development of open-ended service. Service looks like it's actually serving something. In Martha's case... Serving household goods. In Paul's case here, serving and ministering 
by testifying to the gospel of the grace of God. Here's one more example. It's a good one. Acts chapter 6, verse 4, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Okay, this is the apostles after they've appointed the deacons. They say, okay, we've got these deacons appointed to do their thing. Now we're going to go do ministry. That's not what it says. Now we're going to go do the ministry of the word. Now we're going to go do some service. It doesn't say that. It's not open-ended. We're going to serve with the word. It's an important development, I think. I think this is leaning in the direction of this phrase, this work of ministry, this work of service being specifically the ministry of the word, which would make a lot of sense if the gifts given to the church of the evangelist and the pastor teacher doing what they do, that they are in fact doing the work of service that is the ministry of the word. Man, I'm okay with a comma in light of that. That the evangelist and pastor teacher is given to the church to equip the saints, comma, to do the ministry of the word, comma. Are you okay with that? I hope so. That's what you pay me, provide for me and my family to do, to devote myself to that. I'm okay with a comma there. In fact, I kind of like it. It kind of fits with the tone of a lot of other stuff. Let me just give you some insight into the tone of this notion the importance of the ministry of the Word and why this may fit as a centerpiece for a passage to the Ephesians about being unified. Why, why is this comma so important and why might it even be so welcome? The work of, this, the work of ministry on these people gifts given to the church, why would this be so important? Well, first of all, let me just offer this. It fits with a devotion to the task. Listen to these, this series of passages. It fits with devotion to the task. Acts chapter 6, verse 4. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Sounds like more than coaching to me. We're going to devote ourselves to it. Now, you can have a devoted coach. Let's, let's look further. Acts chapter 13, verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, this is the, the, the leadership of the church in Antioch. While they're worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them, i.e. the ministry of the word. Set them apart. And la- next they laid hands on them. Man, coaches, they have a high call equipping young men and women in sports and athletics, and they teach some math classes. I don't know why guys always taught math or science. That's an important call, but I don't know if anybody's ever laid hands on them to go do that. But the ministry of the Word, man, lay hands on them and set them apart to that work. Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says, A servant, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, i.e. the ministry of the word. 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul speaking to Timothy. Remember the guy he told, do work, do work, son, do what you've been called to do. You're a gift given to the church. Here he says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders lay their hands on you. 
Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them is what he's saying here so that all may see your progress. Immerse yourself in these things. Devote yourselves to these things. Immerse yourselves in the ministry of the word is what he's saying to Timothy. I'm okay with a comma there. I'll embrace that instead of run from it and say, y'all do all that work. When I see the work and what it, might, it likely is speaking of, the work of the, the teaching and preaching of the word, I'll take that comma. In 14 years, we've embraced a comma there functionally. In 14 years, we've had a very high view of the ministry of the word in this church. So functionally, we've walked in it with a comma being right smack dab there. The importance of the ministry of the word, I think it fits with distinct qualifications to the work. Distinct and high qualifications to the work. Listen to them. Titus chapter 1 verse 7. For an overseer, okay, this is someone who holds the office as a pastor teacher. An overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Man, the, the qualifications that go with the ministry of the word for these gifts who are given to the church, man, they are high and strong. And these, they're, they're fitting that we should have a really high view of the ministry of the word and that we should even embrace the comma there. It fits with the exhortations on individuals to fulfill the task. It fits with the exhortation that's given to individuals to fill the task. Listen to this charge in 2 Timothy chapter 4. We just read from it a moment ago. Part of it says, Paul, Paul says to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. He doesn't say do, do some service. Do some ministry. If you're a gift given to the church, you better bring it. We don't need quippy sayings. We don't need emails, funny jokes and stories. We need the word. Read to us from the book. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they'll turn away from listening to the truth. Wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Do the work of service of the ministry of the word. Do it, Timothy. You're a gift given to the church. Do what Christ won and you're the spoils of his victory. Now go do it. Perfect the saints by doing the work of ministry, of preaching, reproving, rebuking, exhorting, patiently teaching. Do your 
work. Timothy, you're not a life coach. Ben McGraw, Brad Cardwell, Scott Sutton, we're not life coaches. Don't expect us to be. I like those shorts. But man, it's more than equipping. It's making complete. It's perfecting the church and growing it up into maturity. And it's doing the ministry of the word and preaching and teaching the word. Man, it's hearty and it's wholesome. It's more than a pep talk at halftime, what we do here on Sunday mornings. You understand that? I love those talks. I heard them, man, some of the most visceral experiences I've ever had at halftime. I had a helmet that had these little pads inside of it that were so old and, and, and torn that they had jagged edges and they cut into my forehead. So every game I had blood pouring down my face. And I was like, man, I like a he-man. I thought I was awesome. So I got blood on my face and coaches, you know, giving us this pep talk and rally talk at halftime. He was equipping us for the second half, but he wasn't making me whole or complete. That's the role of the pastor teacher is to guide you into wholeness and completion by doing the work of ministry, the work of service, the ministry of the word. It fits with the honor shown to this task. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in teaching and preaching. Doubly honor those who are about the ministry of the word, laboring in teaching and preaching. It fits with the warnings for those doing the ministry of the word. James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. There's a gravity to this work that suggests that it's unique and distinct and that this is not a halftime pep talk every Sunday at 10 a.m. or whatever time we launch off into it. Man. Do you realize that in the New Testament, they even established a whole nother office in the church that would do all the other stuff called a deacon so that these guys could devote themselves to the ministry of the word? Wow. Man, I had the sole job of relieving others to do this word not just sometimes, but exclusively. Man, I'm telling you, I want there to be a comma in there because I want to see you doing some work. <laughs> I do. And like I said, there are plenty of other passages that encourage everyone to play their part, but I don't think that's what's going on here. As much as I want there to be a comma there, and I just want to equip you to go do your stuff, this passage seems to put as a centerpiece to an entire section on unity in the church as the ministry of the word done by those gifts, those human, real people gifts given to the church. Let me deal with the third thing. This is for the building up of the body of Christ. That's the third prepositional phrase there. For the building up of the body of Christ. 
It's developed in the rest of verse 13 of what that actually looks like. And I pointed this out earlier on that the goal there is the mature manhood to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. Again, the markers there are the unity of the faith. And remember, we're not talking about unity of effort. We're talking about unity of content. The unity of faith is a marker. And the knowledge of the Son of God is a marker. How are those possibly going to happen without the ministry of the Word? How are those possibly going to be achieved without those gifts given to the church doing what they do? Timothy, do what you do. How can you possibly share and hold on to and be tethered to the same unity of content of the faith without somebody standing and delivering here week after week after week, prepared with hours of study and prayer, conditioned by prayer, and without you being conditioned by prayer, ready to hear it and receive it? How could that possibly happen? How could we possibly grow up into a mature church unless I'm doing that and you're doing that? I don't know how we could possibly arrive at unity of the faith in terms of content. And I don't know how we could possibly arrive at knowledge of the Son of God. Are we going to get that in dreams? Are we going to get that in movies? Are you going to get that like a figment of your imagination? Where do you think you learned about Jesus? Right here. Can you learn about Jesus on your own? Absolutely. Absolutely. But in the centerpiece of this passage, it seems to be, especially through a guy standing and delivering as a minister of the word, doing the work of service, week in and week out, bringing unity to the body as we grab hold of the same thing and as we together have a knowledge of the Son of God. And you see that the so that there in verse 14, I don't know if you noticed this, but the so that... The end goal there in verse, or the, the ultimate goal there in verse 14 of this, this equipped church that's equipped by these gifts given to the church. This, this church that, that is, is showing the markers of maturity by holding fast to the same faith content. That is holding on to the knowledge of the Son of God. That our unity is coming in those descriptors. And our maturity is coming in those descriptors. Look at the next verse, verse 14. So that, all of that for the purpose of, that we may, be, that we may no longer be children. That we may grow up, that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, by deceitful schemes. Man, the beautiful outcome there by the, from those gifts given to the church doing what they're called to do, the ministry of the word, and growing up the body into maturity is that we are stable, we're grounded we're rooted. We're not easily deceived by every wind and wave and every fancy and every doctrine and everything that the world throws at us and everything that false teachers and everything that cunning teachers try and throw at us. We're well grounded because the gift given to the church has done his job and the church has done their job. Man, I'm okay with commas after all. In light of that, I kind of embrace them. 
If that's the outcome and that's the goal. So here's the so what. I reckon at this point you've probably recognized I'm pretty passionate about this. Anybody? Pretty convinced? Yep. Pretty passionate about this. Listen to Paul's words to the church at Corinth. Chapter 15, he says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. Paul was doing what he did. He was doing work. He's doing what he's supposed to do, and he's preaching with the ministry of the word. He's bringing that to them, and he's preaching to them. He says, I remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. Man, that's the responsibility of the church, is to stand in it. To stand in it. And by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I Preached to you unless you believed in vain. You think preaching in the ministry of the word is important? Wow. Not only is this church going to stand in it, this is going to be how this church, this Corinthian church, is saved. Wow. In light of that, I don't want to share some quippy sayings and funny stories. I want to bring this to you. Potent and strong and clear and challenging and meaningful. Because if it's what the Corinthian church is being saved by, it's what Crosspoint Fellowship is being saved by. Standing in the preaching of the word. Crosspoint Fellowship was built on preaching in the last 14 years. I don't know of anybody at Crosspoint that came here and membered here because of the youth ministry. I'm the sort of temporary youth minister now, so I know that's not going to happen now. <laughs> They're going to be like, man, you got to go to Crosspoint. They have an awesome youth ministry. Now, our children's ministry is pretty amazing. But even in spite of it being amazing, I don't know of anybody at Crosspoint Fellowship that is here because the children's ministry is Something that just like, we've got to go there and we'll just go endure what happens in that big room, that pep talk. Meanwhile, our children are really getting the goods over there. Let's just act like we're just kind of surviving this thing while they're really getting the goods, the medicine. I mean, I don't know that anybody at Crosspoint ever did that. Could be true. I'm, I might be disappointed to find that out, but I don't think so. Man, Clint and our bands... And the guys that lead worship and our gals that lead worship up here, amazing, gifting. But I don't know that anybody's at Crosspoint Fellowship because of our songs. I, I, I hope that, I know Clint's not here because of our songs. Why are we here? Because we're a church dedicated and devoted to walking through his word week by week by week by week. No light shows, no tap dancing, no smoke machines. No dancing girls, just the exposition of the word. Week after week after week after week, the ministry of the word. It's what's built us in the last 14 years. And I can tell you right now, if we grow in the next 14, that'll be what grows us. The teaching and preaching of the word. As we together hold fast to the same content of faith. Faith, we're holding fast, unity of the faith. 
and as we together grow in the knowledge of the Son of God. That's going to be the markers of maturity. And it's going to happen right here. Man. Here's my commitment to you. I will continue to preach like, like we're a three-comma church. Okay? I'll continue to preach as if, remember, I have a sense of humor about this. God chooses the foolish things to confound the wise. <laughs> but as if, this is, as if I'm one of the gifts given to y'all. And that I have the responsibility to equip you, i.e., to help you grow in completion and grow in perfection. I'll continue to preach as if I'm doing the work of service that is the ministry of the word. And I'll continue to preach as if what happens when we sit together under the teaching and preaching of his word, this isn't the only place it happens. It happens in a lot of places where we're teaching and preaching, but it happens here also, especially, that I will recognize and enjoy and prepare to preach and preach as if this is how you're being built up. This is how our church is being built up and grown and matured to the stature that is Christ. The image I had in my mind was like a, a church that's not walking in this. It's like a little bitty tiny bride. She's like a little tiny, like a little, like not even like a little person. I'm talking like a little tiny, tiny person, like a little wee person. And then Jesus is this stature, this amazing stature. And that over time, through the teaching and preaching of the word, this little bitty tiny gal, the bride, that she gets taller she gets taller and like maybe she's, you know, this tall at one point. And, you know, I don't know where, how tall she is here in year 14 for us, but we're not, I hope you know we're not to the stature of Christ. We've got a lot of growing left to do. Wouldn't you agree? Man, that's my goal. That we grow up to be a mature bride. It's a fitting bride for Christ when he comes back. So I'm going to preach like we're a three-comma church. And my request to you is not for the first time, but to continue in the next 14 to listen like a three-comma church. I told you, even if you don't agree that the commas should be there, and even if, like, if you're like me, it's rolled off the tongue, equip the saints for the work of service. Okay, You see all those as being subordinate to one another instead of parallel. Even if all that's true. Functionally, we've been a three-comma church. Functionally, this church has had a very high view of what's going on right now. So all I'll ask of you is that you'll continue in that. I'll preach like that, and I'll ask you to listen like that. I'll ask you to highly value this like it's food. Maybe not quite on par with food, but maybe close. <laughs> Let's be honest. But count it right up there on your list, please. Count it up there like it's food. The teaching and preaching of the word. It's Christ's gift to you. Let me pray. God, I'm so thankful for this um, truth that you have um, provided. I'm just praying selfishly right now that you provided me, helping me 
helping me see the importance of what you've called me to here in Greenville. Lord, I pray that you would guard my heart in these next 14 years from being a guy that just mails it in, that just gives a pep talk. Lord, I pray that you would guide me and Brad and Scott into moving as if the growth of this church is part of our work, as if it's connected. And God, I pray that you would continue to grow this church, just continue to keep them hungry and attentive and responsive. Lord, I pray that we'll be faithful to walk in what we've heard. Praying these things in Christ's name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's distribute the elements.